Welcome to the 26 West Church Sunday Gathering Podcast. Our prayer is that this teaching helps you experience life in Jesus. Good morning, everybody. Uh, For those of you with uh, students in the house, you get to ship them off tomorrow back to class. I hope you had a good spring break. So you're like, oh man, why do you have to be a bubble popper? I do it for a living. Okay, this is my job. Back to normal, or if you've had an extended spring break and you're taking an extra week, great, I don't care, that's uh, your business. Um, well, we, we had an interesting one. It was great to have our daughter off at the youth uh, getaway in Central Oregon, and it's just an impactful time. And then I want to give a shout out to my lovely daughter, Allie, who's home, and she had all four of her wisdom teeth taken out on Friday. What a way to end a week off. And as, as dearing parents, we didn't want to miss school so we did it on our holiday, which makes us incredible parents and wise. And so love you, Allie. You will heal and you are going to class. All right. <laughs> Holidays matter. I mean, a spring break and summer break and vacation time, it all matters. I think when you think of the, the rhythm of the year, if we didn't have these special days, uh, it would become discouraging. Endless work. Uh, or if you're retired already, endless the same. There's something about certain days, whether it's the weekend each week, or, or whether it's Christmas, or for us, those who follow Jesus, this week is more than a holiday. It's, it's a holy week for us because we stop. God is, is so good. If you read the Bible carefully, from the beginning, when he's speaking to his people, he marks in their calendar days and weeks of celebration, of prayer, because we are so prone to forget. And so we need days marked out. And for us, if you're a Jesus follower, uh, this is a special week. Because starting from today through Easter next week, we are remembering the final days of Jesus. If you read the Gospels, you see that so much of the Gospels have a portion of Jesus' life. But most of the Gospel writers spend almost all of their energy on the last seven days. On the final days. And you almost see like time slows down because what God had planned to do from the beginning to rescue us and bring us home and to life in him, uh, we see the details in full because God does not want us to forget. And so I've just entitled today, and I'm going to continue it in Good Friday, uh, a small portion of this, and we'll finish this on Easter, this idea that we're called to make room. Make room. Hopefully, when you have a vacation day or a holiday, you make room for it, right? Hopefully, you don't check your email all day and just blow it off. Hopefully, you make the most of it. Well, how do we make the most of this week? What deeply matters? What are we supposed to remember? I'm glad you asked such good questions. So uh, I'm here to answer your questions. How novel. Uh, Matthew 21 is where we'll be today. And please do make room Good Friday, 6 o'clock. It'll be about 45 minutes to an hour, and it will not be like Sunday, and it will not be like today. We're marking each one of these differently because they matter. Make, make room. Don't, don't blow it off. Make room to invite people. If there's ever a time where people are open to coming to gather for a spiritual thing, it's Christmas and Easter. Make room in your calendar this week for the invitation cards to just simply say, I don't know if you worship or I don't know if you do church, but we're 
throwing a little party, and we would love for you to, to come as well. You never know when you just invite. Well, Matthew 21, let's just read from the beginning. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you're going to find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. And if anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. By the way, the sound of babies is the most amazing sound in the world. Uh, and if you're interested in checking out church, we are baby lovers here. And so babies are, and children are never a distraction. They're the highlight because it's a sign of new life. And so, and I'm a baby hog, so if you have trouble with kids crying, come talk to me. I'll put you in your place. All right. This, um, Scott, I'm feeling a little feisty. All right. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet, quote, say to, uh, say to daughter Zion, see your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the fowl of a donkey, end quote. And the disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. And a very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. These are just quotes from the Bible that they're singing and saying as they look at Jesus. And when Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, who is this? And the crowds answered, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee, partly true, but not the full story. I'm going to just keep reading. Look what happens next. Jesus entered the temple courts and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. It is written, he said to them, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. Then what's next? Verse 14, interesting. The blind and lame came to him at the temple and he healed them. But when the chief priests and teachers of the law saw the wonderful things he did and the children shouting in the temple courts, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant, a.k.a. mad. Do you hear what these children are saying? They asked him, yes, replied Jesus. Have you never read from the lips of children and infants, you, Lord, have called forth your praise? And he left them and went out of the city uh, to Bethany where he spent the night. And this is what's happening. We're reading back. This is what's happening on today in the year that Jesus went to the cross. So it's after the Sabbath, the first day of the week, which would have been Sunday, Jesus goes in to Jerusalem in a way he had not come before. Now, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all write what happened. This is so important for Gospels, for Jesus biographies. They don't cover all of the same events of Jesus' life, but all of them cover this in some way because this 
matters. Now, what's happening? On the surface, we saw a few things. We saw Jesus on a donkey. I don't get that. A Tesla, I understand. I don't get what is Jesus and the donkey and the cult and, okay. And then they're, and then they're throwing their cloaks on the animal and then on the road and they're cutting down branches because that's what one does when they're riding on the donkey coming into Jerusalem. I don't, this is a mystery to some of us. And then Jesus comes into the town and he goes to the temple. And everyone's wondering, what's he going to say? And he flips the tables and starts kicking people out because they had made a mess of what should have been a place of prayer. It became a money exchange and something that God had never intended. Okay, that's great. And then immediately Matthew says what? The blind and the lame. They, they, they come and they're, they're brought to Jesus at the temple. And he said, well, there's not much I can do, but go on your way and be glad. No. He heals them. <laughs> Come on. This is not no ordinary day. And, and I'm just here to remind you, this does not have to be an ordinary week for you. It does not have to be an ordinary day for you. It does not have to be an ordinary year for you. You can see what God is doing, walk into it, step into it, live into it, and be changed. Or you could be like the money exchangers just doing their thing and missing what God is about. You could be like the chief priests and the teachers who are supposed to be the leaders helping people experience life in God and that Jesus has to read the Bible to them because they don't even know what's going on. He has to put them in their place because they missed the plot line. You know, every week, uh, every year, this time, billions celebrate what God has done in Jesus. And billions miss it at the same time. And so the invitation for you this morning and this week is to, like never before, make room in your life for God. Now, what's significant about these events? So Jesus Comes in on a donkey, great. He goes into the temple, great. He heals, sets people free, great. What's the point? Two things I want us to see this morning, and we're going to pick up on it on Good Friday, on, on how we need to make room for the cross. We're going to look at it on Sunday, how we need to make room for resurrection. But for today, let's just focus on two things. The first thing that you have to see, and Matthew's trying to make clear to us, is that Jesus is the true king. Jesus is not an ordinary. Who, the question people are asking when Jesus comes to Jerusalem is, who, who is this? And, and they say, well, he's the prophet. He's the one who speaks like the words of God on behalf of God from Nazareth in Galilee. Partially true. But in, in Jesus' coming, we see that he is not just a prophet. He is the true king. Now, what's, what's going on? Now, every year, because God put in the calendar reminders, this is Passover week if you're a God follower, if you're a Jew. And so there are people coming from all over the known world who read the Torah, the Bible, who follow Yahweh, who are coming back to Jerusalem to celebrate an important event in their history where God had set 
the people free. You got to remember, 1,500 years ago, their descendants were enslaved in Egypt under an evil king called Pharaoh. And they were oppressed and they were belittled and they were made nothing and they were destroyed, but they cried out to God and God sent a deliverer. And God himself, through Moses and Aaron, but God brought the people out and he led them through the land of the desert and he brought them to the place of promise because God is their leader, God is their king. But now, 1,500 years later, they're living in a land where Caesar and Rome are occupying. There's no God follower on the throne leading God's people. They're under foreign rule and they want what their forefathers had. They want God to rule and reign, but all they see is Rome and corruption, and corruption even in the place of worship. And so it's Passover, and pilgrims are making their way. Uh, how many of you have done a pilgrimage to, to Israel before? You, so, some of you some of you have. Just so you know, I'll, I'll say the day after Easter, but we want to do a pilgrimage next year, Lord willing, um, around this time to Israel. I want to take you and take you to the places where Jesus walked and see the Bible come to life. More on that after Easter. But some of you are mad. You're like, I want the date now. Wait. <laughs> it's coming. It's coming. Right now, let's focus on Jesus. You'll get your trip next year. But there was an expectation written in the Bible when God would send another king. A king who was like King David, who was the best king they ever had. A king who would rule. A king who would have righteousness and justice. And they were, they were longing for the day that God would deliver them again. Even though they're living in the land called Israel, they're occupied. And they want God to do what he'd always done. He, you did it before, will you do it again? And, and so Jesus is the true king. Jesus, right before this, he raises Lazarus to life. If you read John's gospel, right before this, he spends the day with Lazarus and Lazarus' sisters. And, and Lazarus was four days dead, which it took four days to prove you were really dead, 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 dead. And when that, that was the time when after four days, like ain't no chance, you're like slowly in coma. You're gone. And after that four days, Jesus says, Lazarus, come out. And Lazarus comes out to life. He's alive. And so, so Jesus is eating at the home of Lazarus, proof that God is at work through this man, Jesus, but who is he? Who is he? And then there's about a 15-mile walk that people would take all the way, making their way from their towns and villages up to Jerusalem, which sits on a mountain, and they would climb, literally, it's a long, treacherous climb up the mountain to Mount Zion in Jerusalem where the, where the temple is. This is the place where God meets with man. And now Jesus comes into the town, how? Riding on a donkey. Not a war horse, a donkey. Now, if you're a king, if you're Caesar, or if you're one of his representatives, and you come out from battle, you come into the town with the parade of all your soldiers in front of you, and you come in your big horse, showing how big you are, 
and reminding everyone around who's in charge. And behind you would be all of these slaves and prisoners that you've conquered and all the stuff that you've brought to show that you're... The king comes in a war horse who's a champion. And how does Jesus come into town on a donkey? Jesus tells his disciples, go get the donkey. Bring it here. And he comes in. Why? Because Jesus knows the Bible. Remember what Matthew wrote. This, was to, uh, this took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet, which is Zechariah 9. Say to daughter Zion, see your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the fowl of a donkey. I'll just keep reading what happens after that. What's this king going to do? He will proclaim peace to the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea, from the river, the Euphrates, to the ends of the earth. And as for you, because of the blood of my covenant with you, I will free your prisoners from the waterless pit. And you keep reading the rest of this. This is a promise from God that he was going to send at the right time a king who would do what? Ride in. A donkey was seen as a symbol of peace because this, this king riding on the donkey would provide peace. This is in contrast to how we think real power should rule. I think so many of us, we're just looking, won't a stronger government come into place to provide the peace that we need in our own soul? And I guess a strong government could be a good thing. Maybe, maybe not. Most strong governments lead towards dictatorship. <laughs> so you can have your political theory about that. But we, we are looking for a strong force to lead and to make things right. And how does God come to us? With peace, gentle, lowly. Jesus doesn't have to prove who he is. He knows who he is. He doesn't have to show off like the kings of this earth. He can come. But in doing that, the people see, oh my goodness, this miracle worker raises Lazarus to life. This one who could feed thousands and thousands with a few loaves and fish. The one who I heard, because I didn't see it with my own two eyes, but I heard he walks on water, he speaks, and the sea is calm and the winds. And this, this Jesus who teaches unlike the other teachers because he has authority. He, he says what he does and he does what he says. He's right. He's true. He's not asking for anything. He's peaceable. Who is this Jesus? Well, he is the true king. And this week, we want to see how that fits in our chaotic world. And when we're looking for peace, we need to look none other than to Jesus. Okay, that's the first one. We'll come back to that in a second. Second one, you see it in here. It's a lot more subtle, but you see it hinted in all four that Jesus, and we remember this at the beginning of this Holy Week, that Jesus is the Passover lamb. This is harder for us to get because most of us were not born and raised in the Jewish tradition, and we don't celebrate Passover as, as the people of Israel did of old. There's another picture that's, this is subtle, but it's embedded in here, and it's going to come to pass when we look at Good Friday. Uh, they're, they're coming. They're flocking. Josephus, the Jewish historian, said that, and again, I don't know if his numbers are right, but he's not a Christian, and he's writing history, that at Passover, some 250,000 lambs would be sacrificed. 
250,000. So in this week, people would bring, or they would bring and they would buy, what God had called them to enact and remember. What are they called to enact and remember? Since you know your Bible well, Exodus 12, very good. Exodus 12, verse 3, God says, Tell the whole community of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, each man is to take a lamb for his family, one for each household, and the animals you choose must be year-old males without defect, and you may take them from the sheep or the goats, take care of them until the 14th day of the month. So they grab them on the 10th, take them to the 14th day of the month when all the members of the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight. Given the, the way they do their day in a 24-hour period, for about four to five days, you're going to take this animal from the flock and you're going to bring it into your house on the 10th day of the month, which is the month of Nisan, which is the their equivalent to January, Passover is going to mark out a whole new calendar. It's going to start a fresh new year. This is going to be the decisive month for them because they're going to remember for all times that God keeps his promise and God will deliver. So they're bringing an animal, and this animal is to be without blemish. You don't, you don't give your four-eyed goat that's a freak, you know, scares you to death. No, this is a spotless, this is, this is a perfect animal, a perfect sacrifice to cover an imperfect people. Some of you can't, you can't get out of your mind a four-eyed goat, and I don't blame you. Um, and this was to be an act of obedience and trust. So before God delivers them, this is before God delivers them. He tells them, I'm about to deliver you, and here's what I want you to do now and do it every year because I never want you to forget what? Exodus 12. Keep going down to verse 12. On the same night, I will pass through Egypt, and I'll strike down every firstborn of the people and animals. I'll bring on uh, judgment on the gods of Egypt. I'm Yahweh. I'm the Lord. And the blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over. It's why well, it's called Passover. I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. So, so because the Hebrew day starts at twilight, at the end of the day, that, that, that day would be Nisan 15, just five days later from when they brought the animal in, um, and, and God's going to pass over. So he, he tells them, get in the house because... I'm going to judge sin and evil, and it's rampant, and I'm going to judge it, but I'm going to rescue you. I'm going to protect you. I'm going to keep you safe. You're my people. Yes, I'm going to judge sin, and I'm going to judge the gods, these false gods, this evil in this world, but at the same time that I judge, I'm going to provide mercy, mercy for you if you trust me. How do I know you trust me? You do what I say. If you love me, Jesus says, you will obey my commands. And so, so, so what do we do? We know that the innocent lamb, when the blood is put on the top and on the sides of the doorpost, that is a sign that that sacrifice is enough to keep me and my family safe. So there, there is judgment, 
But in the middle of judgment, God provides mercy. And the mercy comes through the sacrifice of another. Now, some of you are so used to this Jesus talk that this doesn't blow your mind away. But you got to know, what God wrote was not about sheep and goats and temples and Israel on top of the mountain. The whole thing is to point towards Jesus. The entire thing is so for centuries people would remember that it is through the innocent sacrifice of the one that God provides a mercy for those who trust in him. So I can't, I can't cover my own sin. I can't cover my own debt. But through the innocent sacrifice of the one, those who are guilty are set free and are saved. So, okay, let's, let's go back to what Matthew is saying. What is happening? This is Passover week, right? And so 1,500 years after Jesus, uh, I'm sorry, after uh, the first Passover in Egypt, Jesus enters in on Jerusalem on that same day that you would take the Passover lamb and bring it into your house. On the same day. What God had done, he is doing. And so Jesus comes into the house. Where does he come? He comes into the temple. And he clears it out of the nonsense that was going on. You see, because when you came to worship, you had to bring your, your appropriate sacrifice. And if you were really poor, you could bring pigeons. And, but people were coming from everywhere, so it was hard to bring animals. And people were coming from all over the world, literally, so they had various currencies. And so they set up a, a, a temple currency so you, you could be an even exchange. And so you bring your thing, and then you trade it for temple currency. And with the temple cur currency, you can buy one of these animals to bring that's pure and ready for sacrifice, except that the leaders had figured out how to weight it in their favor, and they were making money on the exchange. And people didn't know that they were getting ripped off, but God knows. And so what does God do? He sends his son, and his son comes and clears the house to say, no, this is to be a place where I talk to my people and my people talk to me. It's to be a place of prayer and worship and communication because I have something for my children to do and I want them to walk with me and talk with me and live with me and show the world how great I am. But you created it and made it a den of thieves. See, Jesus deals with corruption fully. And just like God was going to judge the gods of the nations and the sin and the evil that was around when he first set the people free out of Egypt, he comes again fully in Jesus. And now Jesus is going to deal with everybody everywhere. So here's the invitation. Make room in your heart for God. Make room in your heart for God now. Because Jesus has already come, which is the good news, we still find ourselves in places that we should not be. I, I wonder in retrospect if some of those people who were corrupt yet working in God's house and then they see Jesus go to the cross five days later and they see him rise again and hear from the apostles about how he's risen. I wonder if they were convicted of who they used to be. And I wonder if any of them repented and turned to Jesus 
for the forgiveness of sins, I don't know. But I do know this. We can know his voice. We can follow his leading. We can make room in our hearts for God. So, so at this time, the people did not see the significance. When, when you read Matthew 21, it's very clear. It's not till later that people get a sense of what God was doing. And you know, the same thing happens for you and I. It could be that you have celebrated Christmas and, and Easter and these holy days or whatever, or you just, you've come to church and, you know, you, you sing the songs and you kind of read the Bible, you get a little bit, you don't. But it is possible to not fully live into the significance of all that God's done. And yet, in the calendar, we are reminded that, uh, that, that you can make room Mary and Martha, the sisters of Lazarus, they made room in their heart for Jesus to, to work. The, the ones that are closest to him, they're following him closely. They go into the upper room. He spends time with them. He speaks to them. They made room in their, their hearts. But not everybody does. But what we need to be reminded this week, and I'll just leave it at two and come on Good Friday and we'll explore more, is that Jesus is the true king. He is the one that was promised. He is the one that alone is able to give his life as a ransom for many. Why? Because he is the perfect without blemish sacrifice. So this is all that we see in the beginning of the Bible is not a waste. No, it is a vivid picture pointing to Jesus. And so now we, if we will make room in our hearts, can really think about what it means for Jesus to be king. Hey, I love Easter, and I'm all into the peeps, and I love candy, and, and I think Easter egg hunts are amazing. You should give as much sugar to your children as humanly possible. I, I'm, I'm all for family dinner. What's on the menu this year? Are we going traditional? Are we going, what is traditional? You know, like, uh, what, what, are, what are we doing? Are we going out? Are we staying in? All, all you know, photos. We're going to have a photo booth next week. Ooh, photo booth for Jesus. Great, wonderful. Take your photo, post it. I love all of it. I'm, I'm a fan of all of it. Unless you miss the point. If you can enjoy dinner like they would the Passover meal, remembering the deliverance of God. If it's significant, because in all of these free giving of gifts, you remember there's grace and mercy and love and wonder because Jesus is alive, then fantastic. If you post your photo because you can clearly say, I love him and he loves me and I'm walking with him, great. But on the first time Jesus came in, most didn't get it. And unfortunately, history has a nasty way of repeating itself. And I think many today, they get some sense of it, but they don't get that Jesus is the true king. What, what does that mean? Who's actually leading you? When they were hoping for the Messiah, which is the, the king, to come, they wanted a leader who would guide them into the life that God intended. Okay, great. So, is Jesus really guiding you? Is he guiding your career path? Is he guiding your goals? Is he guiding your plans, your agenda, your future, your today, your tomorrow? When you make decisions, are you factoring in Jesus? Are you, are you submitting your will to his greater will because he's just greater? Would you agree? He's greater. But are you bringing life to him 
or are you asking him to put his rubber stamp approval on all your half-baked plans? I think the invitation when we think of this Holy Week is that God set up all of history for a climactic point where he would once for all rescue and save everyone who trusts him. But are we living like it? So Jesus is king. Great, congratulations. But is he, is he guiding and leading you? And I hope he is. But can I just suggest, even if he is, there's, there's room left for him to lead, right? Make room. Make room if you're in a relationship, in that relationship for Jesus to lead. If you're confused, make room for him to bring wisdom. If you feel lonely, make room for his presence because in his presence, there's fullness of joy. In your heartache, in your brokenness, hey, uh, Jesus goes into the temple, he wipes out the money changers, and then they bring the blind and the lame, and he heals them. Isn't that good? Do you know Jesus has wholeness for you? And what he's asking is for us to make room for him to be God in our lives. And secondly, Jesus, yes, he's, he's the true king, but he's also the Passover lamb. Who can approach a God who's perfect and pure? I think part of the baseline challenge we have in sharing good news with people is people are already convinced they're good. <laughs> they're all right. Because nobody's perfect, right? So God doesn't expect anybody to be perfect, so he's not that concerned about my sin. And the beauty of the picture of the sacrificial system was how clear you saw how much God hates sin and how loving he is to provide a way of escape. And so I don't have to live in to the penalty and the consequences of my sin if I will allow God's grace and mercy to cover me. But you know what? That covering is costly. And so what would it look like for us to reimagine in our own mind and heart what it means for us to live and follow this Jesus who is the perfect sacrifice and who really gave it all so that we could live? I don't want a flimsy version of Jesus. I don't want an inadequate vision of Jesus I want to see him for who he is. And here's the good news. If we make room, we can receive the grace of God. We can receive the mercy of God. We, we can have all the wholeness that we need. But this doesn't come from us just saying, hey, I'm okay, but I'll give God a try. It comes from us saying, man, I am bankrupt apart from the love of God. And I need him. And I think Easter has its greatest significance when we see the sinfulness of our own sin, and we see the greatness of God's grace in Jesus, then we'll come into this week with the right mind and heart. So what does it look like, look like for us to make room? Can I just make a few suggestions? And then uh, I want us to respond in worship, in singing, in, in prayer, particularly as we were praying beforehand which we do each Sunday. You're invited to come early, and in our office, we just pray about what's going to take place. And it was very clear in this morning's prayer time that 
it seems like God wants to make people whole and bring healing to them. So I don't know if that means anything for you. If, um, if you are rest, wrestling with brokenness right now, it could be in your body and you're sick. It could be in your mind and you cannot get well in your own thinking patterns. It could be in the pain of what you've walked through and your heart has been broken. And we say broken heart, it sounds glib, but I've had my heart broken. And it's not glib. It's painful. God wants to bring healing. Would you rightly respond? And when we open up, uh, we just invite during the singing for people to come to left and right and there's little, little things that say prayer and some friends are gonna be there. Would you just come and receive prayer this morning because you can make room today in your heart for whatever God wants to do. But this week, how can I make room? Can I just suggest this? A couple, super practical. One less show. I want to say just throw out all your devices, but that seems a little bit radical. Throw out half your devices. How about one less show? Whether it's 20-minute, 30-minute, hour-long, what if we said, Lord, I want to make room, so I'm going to fill that 30-minute, that 20-minute, that 60 minutes, and I'm going to just curate a little playlist of worship songs, and I'm just going to, I'm going to sing and agree with these songs and worship you. Do you know you don't need a band on a stage to worship God? I mean, it's kind of killer. That's pretty cool. But uh, you don't need a band. You can, or you can just put on instrumental background music and make up your own lyrics. And, or put on background instrumental music and sing the psalms. Well, what are they supposed to sound like? Yes. Make up, the, make up the tune. Sing the psalms. Okay, how about one less meeting this week? Like you have your, your calendar, you have all sorts of meetings. I give you permission to cancel one. If it's your boss, don't do that one. But can't, cancel one meeting. Just take it off the calendar and replace it with God time. And read the Bible. Read a book or a devotional that has reflections on this week. There are about a million online for free. You can find a million. Just read, reflect, think. How about one less meal? Lord, I'm going to take Tuesday's lunch. And instead of lunch, I'm going to go on a walk. Because it will be sunny. <laughs> it won't. Um, and, and I'm, I'm going to walk and I'm going to put on my headphones so that people don't think I'm crazy and I'm going to talk to you. <laughs> I do it all the time. You will see me on the trails and I am talking to Jesus out loud with my headphones in so people don't think I'm crazy. <laughs> you think I'm kidding. I do it all the time. And I just want to talk to God. And if someone talks, oh, excuse me, I'm sorry. Oh, yeah, yeah, no problem. And I just, I'll just talk to, whatever, you make up your own thing. My point is, you, we could do well with less of these others to make room. And please, be here on Friday. If you humanly can, be here on Friday to remember Jesus' sacrifice together and be here on Sunday. Let's, let's this week slow down 
and make room. Can we? I'm going to invite the band to come. Um, what you will not be surprised with is the lyrics of this next song. It's called Make Room. Okay? Uh, we're not geniuses, but we are thoughtful. And, and I want you to make this song. Please, friend, don't check out. Make this song your prayer. I make room in my heart for you. What would it look like if we all actually did that now? Thank you for listening to this episode of our Sunday Gathering podcast. To learn more about 26 West Church, please visit our website at 26westchurch.org.